You're listening to the Sourced Property Podcast with Stephen Moss and Chris Kirkwood. Welcome to the Sourced Property Podcast, the podcast that has the squeakiest chairs in the podcast land. But thankfully for you, there's also pearls of property wisdom. So let's get straight on with the news. Steve, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Chris. Excellent. So there's been quite a lot of news this week. So instead of just focusing on one, we're going to go through a few news articles. So, of course, first of all, interest rate increase. It's been the first time for a long time that interest rates have gone up. What does that mean? Yeah, well, interest rates have increased to 0.75%, which, to be fair, I think a lot of people were expecting. A lot of people knew it was coming. And I think it's still going to carry on slowly creeping up and creeping up because, you know, let's be honest, they have to try and recoup some of the the money's back and the only way they can do that is by increasing the um, the interest rates it was something we've been talking about earlier in terms of before they were announced and yeah it was something that i don't think was fully unexpected and i don't think it's it's not something that's going to scare off landlords because it's not a huge increase would you agree i do agree yeah and when interest rates came down they came down pretty quickly now you say that they're going to go up i don't think we're, we're going to cause any headlines here by saying exactly that but do you think they'll go up quite slowly? Do you think there'll be quite a gradual increase? Or if they're trying to recoup money, do you think they're going to do that pretty promptly? No, I think I think it's got to be long term, hasn't it? I mean, we've seen that already just on the small increases over a long period of time that they've done. I think um, yeah, next year we might hit the one percent potentially the end of the year, and I think it's something that you know realistically it's not going to jump up just really because of people's situations. You know, it's gonna cause more issues throughout the UK rather than just the housing market if there was a, a huge increase. I think that the days, I don't say the days of sort of 15% interest rates have gone, but certainly I wouldn't have thought of the next 10 years. I think it's gonna be managed slow and steady to achieve you know, what they need to achieve, but also allow people to adjust to those. A lot of people as well, which is quite interesting, when, when I was speaking to friends and investors in the sector, weren't rushing out to get fixed interest rates. You know, they were still quite happy with variable. Okay, they're paying a little bit more, but quite comfortable. Didn't see it jumping very quickly and suddenly. So, so yeah, I think people feel a bit comfortable at the moment. And really, when you look back at 15% interest rates, there would have been property investors that were in the market when interest rates were at 15%, right? But their strategies would have been completely different. So surely this is just, it's another metric that you need to take into consideration when, when you're thinking about where you're going to go, what you're going to do with as your property strategy. So you might, instead of buying and holding, because obviously mortgages are going to be more expensive, you might look at flipping or developing instead where you don't need a mortgage to hold on to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's always market for property investment, isn't there? As you said quite rightly, and it, it depends on a number of things it depends on three elements I suppose to the market there are buyers sellers and finance and it depends at the time of the market which is available what's not available and working around that really if the interest rates are higher yes it'll make it harder in some aspects to finance but there's still opportunities there exactly as you said development opportunities rent to rent opportunities even if you look at the market if it went to 15% there's going to be a lot of repossessions which will then offer a lot of opportunities for development and below market value stock. So I imagine everyone's heard of that story. The other stories are probably a little bit less well known. So the next one we've got is surveys have been downvalued by one in five compared with one in 20 in previous years. I think for this podcast, we should have some kind of uh, pantomime heckle when we mention surveyors. Just, just for all those property investors out there because he's behind you is a really good one. You know, surveyors for a long time have tried to control their area or not really listen, I suppose, to what investors are doing or, or digest it. It's very 
black and white. This is by the book. This is it. And I'm not interested in taking a look or, or looking at comparables. That's not every single surveyor, but that is quite a large majority. And that's the feedback we get from our community. And is that, is that from the surveyor themselves having the desire to, to rule their area? Or is that actually from the mortgage companies instructing them of what they're looking for in that area? I think it's more actually down to the fact that if you look at pre-2008, you know, when the market crashed, a lot of burden came down on the surveyors and, and their insurance particularly. So surveyors kind of value now with a, a thought in the back of their mind that they do have insurance and it is expensive. So they have to make sure that they're belt and braces and that you know they're only taking into account what they're looking at and seeing, which I can understand and, and I'm sure if I was a surveyor, I'd be at the same sort of value in terms of I've got a family, I've got a home to pay for and, and everything else, I don't want to lose my job. So making sure that I'm, I'm more cautious, I suppose, is, is the right word. And, you know, as you said, if you look at the statistic, one in five properties are being downvalued now, whereas compared to two years ago, that was one in 20. It's still almost as though surveyors are expecting something to happen in the market. So flipping that round, does that mean people are being more greedy? You know, if, it isn't, if the surveyors are being consistent throughout, that is the boot on the other foot where it's the property investors that are trying to be too greedy and asking for too high a valuation? I think a lot of it is driven by, you know, it's a good old saying, it's worth what somebody's willing to pay, isn't it? Now, let, let's be honest, you can put a property on the market. If you've got a buyer that's willing to pay that, then really that's the valuation of that property. Although, obviously, surveyors will argue with comparables, and particularly in our network, parts that we, we've come across where surveyors have been out to a property and there's just no comparables in the area. So what they've actually done is said, well, we're limiting it to this because we don't have any more comparables, yet we have buyers that are willing to pay more. So it doesn't reflect, really, what's going on in the market. So would you say that this metric of one in five in comparison to one in 20 is a good indicator that we're about to see another crash because they're being more cautious than they've been in the past? It's really difficult to say, isn't it, you know, what surveyors are thinking or what's being fed back to them. If you speak to them directly, yes, yeah, some of them believe that the market's tightening, it's getting tougher. And, it, and again, it comes down to sometimes people talk themselves into a recession or talk themselves into a crash. And I think surveyors have to be a little bit more flexible in terms of the market, taking in the, into account the comparables and, and just be aware really of, of what's going on. But it's an interesting stat, one in five, you know, I, it was a little bit of a shock when I read it at first and I thought, wow, that's, that is a big change. And it'll be interesting to see how it, how it holds that towards the end of this year as well. So definitely something that we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. So the next news item is all about stamp duty. Now there's been a big announcement about the amount of money that they've taken in stamp duty, Steve. There is, this is one of those stories that I literally wanted to pack my little case, get on the train, go down to London, stand in front of the building and shout, I told you so. Because, you know, this is one of those stories that, first of all, I couldn't believe the actual amount. So what they've announced is that over the last 12 months, so 12 months prior, they've collected 14% less in stamp duty the government. So that equates to £317 million, which is a huge, huge figure. So obviously, let's take it back. So they increased the stamp duty levels for property investors because they believe that will bring in more revenue. And what this statistic is telling us, that actually it's brought in 14% less. Now, do you think that this is just the beginning of that period where they've increased the stamp duty and therefore a lot of sales went through before the stamp duty rose and therefore isn't in this figure? Or do you just think that there are less transactions going through or other ways of getting around paying as much stamp duty? Do you think this is going to be, you know, sort of 14% down for quite a while? No, I don't think it is. I think you're right. I think there's been obviously a hike before the rule came in where there was a lot of property transactions. 
I think generally it depends on which statistics you follow. But if you look at the likes of Halifax, they've announced there were more transactions last year. Uh, there's been an increase. Uh, sorry, last month there's been an increase. It's difficult to tell in terms of where this figure comes from and, and how reliable it is in terms of how true it is. It's certainly a figure that now I'm going to be watching and keeping an eye on because if it does prove that actually they're only collecting the same, if not less, then it should really open up the opportunity to hopefully remove that law and uh, allow more transactions to go through at because a that's, rate. that's in their interest right isn't it it's in the government's interest and it's in uh, property investors interest yeah so lo- logically it makes sense does that mean that it'll happen no. absolutely not absolutely so the last news item that we're going to do today is about the ricks have forecasted that rents are going to jump by 15% in five years. So what's that down to? First of all, I think it's quite a bold thing because usually you don't hear Ricks coming out with bold sort of forecasts and usually they're quite conservative in terms of statistics and analysing stats. And, And what they're saying in this story is that there just aren't enough properties in the rental sector and there aren't enough property investors buying to buy to let. So they're looking at the whole market and saying that in the next five years, due to the shortage, tenants will be paying an additional 15% on rent. Are they taking into consideration things like Brexit and other factors that are going to affect the market, or is that just, just you know carrying on the way that we're going at the moment? Yeah, just carry on the way we're going. It's very difficult, obviously, to take into Brexit because we don't know the true effect that that will have. But yeah, what they're saying at the currently, if we continue in the market we're in, then rents will have to increase by 15% over the next five years, which for tenants, you know, that's, that's a huge increase. So out of all four of the news stories that we've just covered, you could say for each one of them that you need to keep your eyes on this because yeah. it, it's gonna, it's, go, it's still going to change. This isn't, you know, definitively the way that it's going to stay for a long time. It's going to change and it's gonna get really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. For, for this sector, you know, we're, we're probably at a, an uncertain time in terms of we don't know if the stamp duty will continue at that level. We don't know what finance will be available, what interest rates will be available. There's lots and lots of, I suppose, uncertainty and that's affecting the market as well. And uh, as you mentioned before, the, the B word, you know, that, that will have an effect on the market. So, you know, I think these are four really good stories that we will continue to monitor, we will continue to talk about and um, particularly the stamp duty and, and how that's coming along. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. So now onto the main feature. We're going to talk about chain breaking. And chain breaking, if you haven't heard of that before, is how to generate big below market value leads. But you might not know what it is. So chain breaking is all about a chain of properties that are going to be sold and the chain breaks down and you get to come in like a superhero and rescue the chain. Now this is particularly good in chain breaking because property, you know, you've got four or five people in a chain who are really stressed because as you know, buying property is one of the most stressful things that you can do. And so they are very keen to get that chain through, get it sorted out, sell their property and perhaps move into their dream home. Now this is a stat that you told me and I didn't believe it at first. Don't blame me, Chris. But you told me, and therefore it must be true. (laughs) One in three chains fall through. Is that real? One in three chains, yeah, that's the national average, yeah. That is amazing. So yeah, it's a huge, huge number, yeah. I was gonna say as well, 75% of all stats are made up. (laughs) That's a different different time. So no, no, but yes, seriously, yeah. One in three sales in the UK fall through, which is, uh, it's a huge number and obviously, that's something that agents, something that buyers, I suppose, and sellers as well, have always tried to look at alternative ways. I mean, if you look at the Scottish law, the people in Scotland and the, the rules they have, 
I think they've got it right and it's almost like England are scared to follow that in terms of you make the offer and it becomes a lot more legal and, and tied and a lot quicker in the relationship whereas obviously average sale in the UK at the moment is four months and it's not legally binding until you exchange which is towards the end of the four months so obviously it can be something that can be drawn out it can be expensive and then you can lose everything that you've put towards so how many people are usually involved in the chain because it's not just that one person that's affected it's not just the one person that drops out or you know whatever decision that they make to get out of that chain obviously the rest of the chain is affected yeah that, that's typically the issue so in the uk at the moment the average chain is five properties so you've got your starter home which is typically your first time buyer there, you know, it might be a terrace or an apartment. They're moving on to slightly larger home, slightly larger home. You know, and that's a typical chain which goes up to your your big property that are typically downsizing or moving abroad, relocating, going into rented, something like that. That's the end of the chain. So the average in the UK is five properties in a chain. And when you when you enter a chain, you don't actually get to find out what position everybody else is in because you know that that old saying, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. But you have no idea, do you, when you enter a chain? that somebody a bit further down the line might be overestimating what their survey is going to come back with. And that could be the reason that the chain falls down. But there's no way of predicting that before it actually happens. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously risks involved being included in a chain. And a lot of this comes down to how strong and how good your agent is. So a lot of estate agents now, particularly the larger ones and online ones, have dedicated sales progression teams. So the sales progression team, when the, an offer is put in, they would typically check the rest of the chain and, and find out what position everybody's in. So they've got a complete overview of the whole chain and the whole situation. But you're right, I mean, somebody at the bottom of the chain may accept an offer and then at the top of the chain, there may be survey issues and problems that come up later down the line and it will affect your sales. So sometimes you will see people kind of using the fact that the chain free as a sales point because other people have had bad experiences with chains mm. where sales have just dragged on and on and on. And then if you are going to go through a chain, then one of the ways to mitigate that risk is to choose the best agent around. But then how do you do that? How do you choose the best agent? Surely that's just word of mouth or perhaps uh, a rating on the internet. But apart from that, you just you just have no idea. So it's gonna be, if you are gonna go into a chain, it's always going to be a risk. Yeah, exactly. I think it depends on the type of house as well. If you're looking at selling typically a semi-detached or a smaller detached property, you kind of know that you're going to be in a chain anyway because they're the next step sort of level for families and, and how the process typically goes for the property journey. So yeah, if you're in that, that type of property already, then you, you already know that you're going to be involved in a chain. So what are some of the reasons that a chain can collapse? Well, 82% of chains fall through typically because the first time buyer at the beginning of the chain. So, is that one of those 70% of stats are made up thing again? That's not one of those. That's one of the 25% of real ones. So <laughs> I've, I've checked and we're okay on that one. So yeah, it, it's quite a high number. And it's down to things like first-time buyers, either couples getting together and deciding to buy a house and then unfortunately splitting up, people applying and not being able to get the finance, people receiving surveys and, and just being scared off by surveys, particularly one that's well-known in the industry is Home Buyers Report. So a home buyer's report is more detailed than a survey and it will come back with every single small thing and, and it's well known that with first-time buyers it can often put them off. You find quite often that experienced estate agents, if they know they're getting a home buyer's report, they'll pre-warn them or they'll ask them to come in with the home buyer's report to discuss it because they know that they're going to be put off by the purchase. Wow, okay. So that's a good agent yep. acting responsibly, trying to make sure that the chain 
keeps going. That's one of the things that a good agent can do in comparison to, a, to an agent that isn't quite so bothered and will just sort of let the home buyer's report come in and hope that everything goes well. Yeah, I suppose it's more of a proactive uh, agent. And, and again, it comes down to a lot of the agents have sales progression teams or people that will help manage that. And obviously, the last thing they want to do is to sell to fall through and not get paid the commission. So it can be a strong point having that agent. And also as well, that's why this whole concept, you know, what we're discussing today is generating below market value leads for our investors. Again, it's about having good relationships with those agents. So how do you do that? What do you do? Wine, dine, theatre tickets. No, I'm Thank God you didn't keep that rhyme going. <laughs> um, it, it's, I think it's really important, really, just the, the communication making sure that you're in constant communication with them to make them aware. If you picture yourself as an estate agent, how many calls a day do you think you get from investors or people that want to invest in property that say the same thing to you? I'm looking for this type of property, you know, below market value or run down or something. They must get tons. Margin, it's all about margin, isn't it? How many times do you think they're asked the question, have you got something that I can add margin to? Yeah, exactly. So you've got to be different than that. You've got to make sure that you're popping in every now and then, you, you face fitting, they're aware of things, projects that you've got going on, and just building those relationships. Because on what day and on what date in the month the chains usually collapse? There's, there's no set rule, is there? So the, you need to make sure that you're consistent and going in so that you are there at the right time, whenever that happens to be. Absolutely, and one of the key things we've learned from chain breaking and how to automate the chain breaking is the third week of each month is the best week for it. And I'll expand on that a little bit when we talk about automating the whole system. Okay, so what exactly is chain breaking? And again, it's not the right name for chain breaking because the chain is already broken, you're going in to fix the chain. Yeah, not only are you uh, an investor, you're also a superhero. So by coming in and saving the rest of the, the properties, everybody uh, is obviously grateful and thank you. And you know, uh, chain breaking itself, if we look at an actual example, so let's say we've got a terrace property at the beginning and there are five properties involved in the chain. The first time buyer at the very beginning uh, has issues getting a mortgage or for whatever reason decides to pull out. Now as a proactive estate agent, they could contact you and say, we've got a property here, the chain is already quite far advanced. Rather than everybody stopping what they're doing and remarketing their properties, we feel that we could get each property to reduce slightly and add, add those reductions together, giving you a discount on this, this property. So let's take a standard five chain sale going through. The bottom one, because 82% of the time it's the first property, it's the, the um, first time buyer property. That's the part of the chain that's broken. So you've got four properties above it in the chain and you convince each one of those properties to drop their price by say 10,000 pounds. And that means that you get what off the first property in that chain, if you can step in and buy it because the buyer's full, uh, pulled out. Yeah, so as an example in that, let's say the property was 100,000 pound and you get, let, let's be let's be more realistic and say 5,000 pound knocked off each property above. So you're getting 20,000 pound re reduction. So that's passed on to the, the purchase at the very bottom. So you're then getting that property at 80,000 pound. Typically with chain breaking, what you find is that the amount they reduce is relevant to the price of the property. So rather than just saying to everybody, reduce 5,000 pound, you might have some properties in there that are lower value and you might have some that are quite large. So you might ask the ones at the top of the chain to reduce 10,000 pound and then the ones closer to the bottom to reduce by three, 4,000 pound. And it's rele relevant to what people can reduce. You would have to come in on the basis that you can move quickly to keep the chain going and continue to aim for the date that they're looking for to move. So to give you a little summary, just of now, 
that the chain's broken down, you're gonna step in, you're going to rescue the chain. Few investors know about this strategy in, compar in comparison to the number of investors that are out there. So immediately your competition for this kind of thing is less. And the people that you're helping out want you to help out because they wanna keep the chain going. So it's a win-win for everybody involved, even though you're offering them less money in order to move out of their houses. It's not a massive amount less. I mean, you can, you can offer them whatever you want, but by adding up all the other properties in that chain, you get a significant amount off the, off the property that you're gonna buy. So how do you move quickly? How do you make sure that you're always in the position to move quickly when the chain collapses? If you're not a cash buyer, obviously cash would be the quickest way to move. But alternatively, there are other finance options that can help you move quickly, such as bridging finance, peer-to-peer -peer finance. So there are other solutions that I know we've talked about in other uh, podcasts as well. But yeah, you need to make sure that when an opportunity does come up like this, that you can move quickly and act quickly. And a lot of that as well will help and reflect on how many of these types of deals you get in the future. Because I'm sure you can appreciate if you do move in quickly and you complete on the property, then the next one that that agent gets they will be contacting you first. So it's about securing future business, not just the property you're looking at there and then. So when you're negotiating uh, how much of a discount you get on each one of the properties, would it be you individually that talks to each one of those vendors? No, no, so again, it comes down to having that relationship with the agent and also the agent being in touch with the chain. So you would speak to the agent and say, look, this is the price I need, need it out to move quickly. Can you get the rest of the chain to reduce this? And then the agent would then speak to typically the sales progression or the agent for each property that's in the chain uh, and negotiate and, and pass that on to the next property and on to the next property and it feeds its way back through the chain. Brilliant. Anything else you want to add on chain breaking? You know, when you look at any way that you generate investment property leads, they're expensive and time consuming. Yet with chain breaking, there isn't generally a cost as such. It's about popping in, having a relationship. I'm not suggesting that you're gonna get a chain breaking lead every single day. That's not realistic, but you will find that by putting a little bit of time and energy into it, and particularly automating the system. So we've took it to a, another level in terms of what we do. We've looked at, okay, our target area is this. We've gone out and got all the details for the agents in that area, personal email addresses. We've set up a free SurveyMonkey email campaign solution. So literally adding all those email addresses into SurveyMonkey and then a simple email template that goes out on the third week of each month. So the email template will simply say, hi, such a body, just touching base with you, see if you've got any properties that are available for what I'm looking for. Also to make you aware that if you've got any chains that aren't looking fantastic, I'm happy to jump in and help out. And it's about constantly refreshing. And that goes out on the third week of each month. And the reason it goes out then is because agents will uh, look for solutions. If they've got chains that are potentially breaking down or issues and problems, they'll want to get them resolved before the end of the month because they don't want that commission to come out of their overall bonus and uh, an overall target. So they act quite keenly on the third week of the month, typically. Sneaky strategies. Well, it's just about trial and testing, isn't it? So we, we've run this through different days, different times of days for, you know, for the past couple of years and, and we found this has been the most effective. You're so full of value that you know you just blow my mind. We've actually got a, a video on chain breaking on our website, haven't we? So if you head over to www.sourced.co, if Steve has been talking too fast that you can't take notes <laughs> and keep up with him, then head over there and have a look at the video. Uh, remind yourself about all everything to do with chain breaking. Actually, I remember now what I was gonna say. If you are going into agents, 
as a property sourcer, that's something that you're going to be doing anyway. So you're saying you're not going to get a chain break every time you go into an agent, obviously not, but you're still building the relationship for all the other strategies that you're doing. And chain breaking is basically just part of your toolkit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, picture yourself as that agent, the amount of people that call or pop in and say the same thing, but how many do you think pop in and say, have you got any chains that are falling down? Have you got any chains that are looking wobbly? And suddenly engage the agent completely differently for the agent because the agent knows that if they if that sale falls through they lose their commission you know they've got to hit certain targets to get the commission so again you're kind of offering them an opportunity in a way to make sure they're getting their commission they're keeping everybody happy and uh, and you're getting a great deal as well and the same that we say you know go into an agent and say if you've got any properties that you're having problems getting rid of yep. you know look at solutions for that property as well basically trying to build a relationship by helping the agent that's what you're going in there for that's how you're positioning yourself and it's a strong position because as you say a lot of other people aren't going aren't going to do that they're just looking for margin for themselves yep absolutely brilliant thanks steve thanks very much for this week's top tip we've already mentioned them once it's the videos that we've got on our website but I want to make sure that you know that there's more than one video. We don't just have a chain breaking video. We've got loads and loads of videos and we're actually adding to the videos all the time. So head over there if you want to learn about brand new strategies, other property things, other property information, uh, important factors to remember in property, loads and loads of stuff. So head over there, www.sourced.co. Now I was responsible for writing some of the videos and so I'm probably not the most objective person, but producer M, you've yes. watched some of these videos, haven't you? Yeah. And what did and you think of them? I think they're really good. A lot of the strategies in the videos that are on there, I didn't know about. And Do you feel now were, that you know about them? Yeah, they were a good stepping stone for me when I first started at Sourced to bring me up to speed with a lot of things that all the guys were talking about. So yeah, if you want to learn some property strategies, then I'd definitely recommend them. And we've got videos that are relevant for newbies. We've got videos that are relevant if you're already established as a property investor or if you're a property mogul. We've even got videos that you will find interesting and informative. So head they're, over there. They're, they're great because they're not they're, they're quite like short snippets. Uh, some are longer than others, but they're, they're really good bite-sized pieces. And what's the main reason that they're great? They're free. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are free. Yeah, so head over to the website. Thank you for listening to the Sourced Property Podcast. Visit sourced.co for free training videos and blogs. 